Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. Thank you for your company. I was absolutely thrilled to attend the inaugural Australian Friends of the Camino conference in Adelaide at the weekend. 100 pilgrims gathered in the South Australian capital. It was a brilliant weekend, full of love and laughter, singing, celebrating and simply enjoying the company of like-minded souls. This is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James. James was one of Christ's apostles. Pilgrims from all over the world walked the Camino, seeking insight, clarity, and inspiration on the path renowned the world over for its spiritual and mystical energy. The Pilgrims' Conference over the weekend was a chance to revisit the good times we've all shared on the Camino. There was so much laughter, so much generosity. It was a great rekindling of the Camino fire, in all of us. I was enjoying a glass of wine with Cliff and John on Saturday night, and we'd heard that day from Isabel Darling Thomas, a member of the Salvation Army. She told an incredible story. Isabel was joined by the Anglican priest Cameron West, who called himself a pilgrim, a priest, a padre. Cliff and John and I talked about Isabel's story, her journey. Cliff said, Dan, you ought to write a song. And I said straight off the top of my head, This pilgrim community here is a form of Salvation Army. So stand by for the song. (laughs) I took my trusty digital recorder with me over the weekend and I recorded all the presentations on the Saturday and I thought this week I'd play for you some of those presentations. We were very, very lucky to be in the company of Senor Isaias Calvo de la Uz. He's the administration director for the Plan Jacobeo in the Ministry of Culture and Tourism in Galicia, the local government in Santiago de Compostela. And he talked about the whole year and its implications. His topic was Zacabeo 2021 Project. He was born in Pomferrada and he holds degrees in law, history and European affairs. Speaks five languages, do you mind? And he has 20 years experience in the Ministry of Presidency and environment. He spoke absolutely beautifully. Now, later in the day, we broke off into groups to talk about the next 10 years on the Camino, the challenges, opportunities, and what role the Australian friends of the Camino might play in the development and protection of the Camino. Isaias listened to all our concerns and suggestions, and he was most gracious and generous, I thought, and I was lucky enough to dine with him at two of the meals over the weekend. He spoke so passionately about the Camino, its future and its impact on the world. It was a blessing to meet him. So I've included some audio from Isaiah's speech here today as well, a different podcast this week, so I hope you enjoy it. You know how much I love a quote. I just loved The Muppet Show when I was a boy. I just love it. And Sesame Street. Jim Henson, the Muppets creator, said once, there's not a word yet for old friends who've just met. So true, isn't it? There's not a word yet for old friends who've just met. We start this week with Isabel and Padre Cameron from the Australian Friends of the Camino Conference in Adelaide on the weekend. Thank you. Uh, We're very glad to be here. Uh, From Melbourne rather than Darwin, uh, Isabel and I met each other in Darwin uh, where we had a pilgrim's mass at the cathedral I was working at at the time and formed a walkers group out of that. And uh, certainly um, there's no chance today for me to get down to Mr Sunshine for an espresso, I'm afraid. Uh, That was a wonderful start though. So... Uh, A little bit just about me. I walked the Camino del Norte in 2010 
uh, from Irun, uh, and I'll address this a little bit later to Santiago, of course. We all walk to Santiago, but some of us uh, walk beyond Santiago. Uh, so I went to Fistera, or Finisterra, um, and I'd like to introduce myself or think of myself as pilgrim, priest, and padre. And I know that there are a lot of people in this room who are very qualified, uh, perhaps even more qualified than me, to speak about the spirituality on or of the Camino. And certainly I don't have a monopoly on this, but uh, my spirituality is very much a pilgrim spirituality, as well as a priestly spirituality. And I think it's because I'm a pilgrim that I can uh, minister as a priest and because I'm a priest in the Anglican Church that I can minister as a padre, that's what they're affectionately called, uh, in the Australian Army, a chaplain, uh, which by happy accident of history has taken that Spanish name uh, into its ministry. Um, I walked the Camino, uh, Francis, in 2014. I walked it for religious and spiritual reasons. And my religious was in my denomination as a church to find um, different things. But spiritually, I define spirituality as where I find meaning, purpose and belonging. And I think that fits just about everybody. Um, Meaning, purpose and belonging. And I found that on the Camino. I had never heard of the Camino 10 months prior to walking. But once I heard about it, I kept hearing about it and it was drawing me to it. I was 58, overweight, totally unfit, and financially broke, and I had never ever travelled alone. And yet the Camino called me to walk. I borrowed money from my daughter to pay for my ticket to travel over there. I paid, she paid it off over three months by not paying board. I left with enough money in my pocket. I had enough money in my pocket for two weeks. And uh, as a Salvation Army officer, we don't get a lot of money, but I, my pay would go in on a Tuesday afternoon, and so I would need to be near an ATM after two weeks to get enough money to last me for the next two weeks. And uh, it meant that when I was in Lyon, I had to stay an extra day because I, my pay hadn't gone in, and I couldn't leave until I got some money. But it was a time where I experienced God's presence. Even though I travelled alone, I never felt alone. I felt his protection, his guidance and his amazing provision for me. And it is a life-changing experience for me spiritually, emotionally and physically um, that lives with me every day. So this is not meant to be, uh, or this is meant to be rather, descriptive. I'm hoping it's something of a helpful framework for you to consider spirituality and your own spiritual experiences uh, on the Camino. And so I've adopted a fairly generic approach to pilgrim spirituality here from uh, Eid and Selno, their 2011 book, talking about pilgrimage as consisting of person, place and text. Now, again, this is meant to be descriptive, not prescriptive, but I hope in talking about a grammar and a vocabulary of pilgrimage composed of person, place and text, uh, that you can see what this looks like uh, in in the spiritual dimension uh, for us on the Camino, and it might give some meaning or some framework 
for your own experiences from the Camino. In scripture, there's a story of the Good Samaritan. It's a story of a person who was uh, robbed and beaten and lying on the side of the road. And uh, a priest and a Levite walked past, saw this man and kept walking. I don't know why, they had their reasons. But then there was the Samaritan, a person from another country, spoke another language, who saw this man and reached out to stop and help him. On the Camino, we have these experiences with other people. Times when we are the person vulnerable and needing help, and other times when we are the Samaritan. We might call them Camino angels. And uh, Peter and Dot and Joe were my Camino angels. Halfway through the Camino, I hit the wall. I was lonely, I was struggling, my feet was hurting, my bones were hurting, and I was having a good old cry. And as I walked out of the Albergue into the kitchen, I heard Australian voices and it just touched me and I opened up to these people. They were Christians from Brisbane. They talked with me, they um, prayed with me and they gave me strength that I didn't know I had and it meant that I went with Dot and caught a bus to Leon. We had two days together and it refreshed me and replenished me and I was able to continue the journey to Santiago. But there were other times that I was a, a pilgrim, as the Samaritan to others. I was the angel. And these three uh, people, four people, little boy, Catherine, who's uh, over on the far side there. Catherine was from Canada. She, was, she turned 30 on the Camino. She was searching. And uh, we met at Granon and we started to just keep passing each other. And after the Camino, she wrote to me and she said, Isabel, my Camino changed because of you. Because I was open to talking to her about places like San uh, Anton and San Nicholas, which I'd heard about in a, com a, um, a video documentary. And I'd said, I am going to stay at this place, but I have to get there early because only 12 people can stay. And so she decided to do that. And we spent five hours sitting outside St Nicholas waiting for it to open. But she was just able to open her heart to me. And uh, I was able to be her Camino angel. And the other couple were travelling with their three-year-old boy. I budgeted 30 euro a day. They budgeted 30 euro a day for all of them. And so life was tough. And there was one day after we passed Osobrero, uh, we were stopping somewhere and they were saying, we can't go on, we can't afford to stay here. And I was able to, through someone else, they didn't know about it, but give them enough money to pay to stay the night. And it was an amazing community that night. And so uh, I don't want to put myself up, but it meant that even though I didn't have a lot of money, I was able to bless somebody else. And that's where I found the spirituality on the Camino by being a Camino angel or being, have someone else being my Camino angel. And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan when uh, someone interrogates him and says, who is my neighbor? And the point at the end of that story is, who was a neighbor to this man? Sometimes we're the one blessed on the road. Sometimes we are the one doing the blessing. I was blessed on the road by, um, well, by Linus also, uh, but by some German nurses who treated my triple-story blisters at Deva. <laughs> uh, many of you know that blisters are a blessing of the Camino that comes sometimes in abundance, and I was grateful uh, for those nurses. 
And uh, they were my Camino angels, but I also had a Camino brother. And I've heard of other people mentioning that Camino family. Linus became my Camino brother. He teaches philosophy in Paris. Uh, we were known by the end of our Camino as the philosopher and the priest walking along the way. We had some fantastic conversations. And uh, Linus asked me whether I was trying to convert him along the way. And I had to answer truthfully that yes, yes I was. Uh, and I say this is not a prescriptive um, session on Camino spirituality, but also I was able to tell him that uh, through, though he claimed uh, to want to have been a Christian if he could, and identified more as a skeptic, I said, but you also are converting me along the way. And he left me a better Christian because of our conversations, as I hope I left him a better skeptic. We've stayed in touch since and walked together a number of times in a number of countries. And so uh, this foreshadows what comes next, but recognizing the dignity and humanity of all that we meet along the way played itself out in a different way for me. I was not a Camino angel to someone, perhaps except in that mutual way uh, with Linus. But I did take away from the Camino this idea that all the humans that I encounter are indeed, as Christ uh, implies, my neighbour. And so one of the things that I did differently to recognise the sacredness of my neighbours was when I returned to my studio unit that I shared with my wife in uh, Fortitude Valley in Brisbane, a pretty busy place, busier than most of the places I was at on the Camino, I realised that I couldn't say hello to everyone I walked past in Brisbane. <laughs> this was just not possible. But I committed to, in my street, everyone who I made eye contact with, I would greet and I would treat them as my neighbour, because they were. And that meant the high heel wearing Audi driving marketing executive who worked across the road, but it also meant the public housing people who lived next door and were the cause of emergency services making visits to our street at all hours of the day. They were my neighbours too, and they were surprised sometimes for me to just acknowledge them and recognise them as my neighbour. Often spirituality was found in places and uh, there were many places on the Camino that touched my spirit. But one of the first ones was at Granon and many of you have been here will recognise this uh, window and at uh, nine o'clock at night, it was a community, we slept on the floor, it was the most uncomfortable night on the Camino and I was positioned between two old men snorers and it was just one of those nights but at nine o'clock at night, all 40 of us after sharing a communal meal went up to the top um, of loft of the, the church uh, in the cathedral and we sat in a circle in these old chairs and they've been doing this for 300 years 
and they had a candle and as we shared we passed a candle from person to person and people spoke of why they were walking the Camino, what were their reasons and they spoke in their own language so we didn't always understand what they were saying but the sense that night of spirituality and the tears that were flowing and the connections that were made with people that we continued to meet was something that will stay with me forever. It was just a really amazing night. And it was that night that a lot of what I would call my Camino family, I made those connections and we all arrived in Santiago together. So it was just a very amazing night for me. The second was um, at Crooks de Ferro. Um, the highest point of the Camino, and many of you have been there and experienced it. But for me, it was an amazing achievement. Seven years prior to walking, I was in a psych hospital. I had severe depression. I was living in a place of no hope and um, no purpose for living. I was suicidal. I didn't find anything that was going to keep me alive. And yet here, seven years later, I was at the highest peak of the Camino. I had walked alone, I was unfit, I was 58, but I had done it. And it was just for my spirit, where I found that meaning, purpose and belonging, was there. I carried, I'd been a single mum for many years and I had carried a stone that my daughter brought back from Botswana. She was my middle daughter, she had ADHD and had been a really difficult girl to raise, but she turned into a lovely adult. And she said to me, mum, carry this stone for me. And so I took that stone and I placed it at that rock. It took a long time for me to leave that place as I thought of family, I thought of friends who had been there the year before as I just reflected on my life. But as I left that place, my spirit soared and I had bad knees and it was the worst downhill trek ever through the shale and the loose rocks. But my spirit was soaring and I left with a spring in my step and as I looked out over the mountains and I heard the cowbells in the distance, I couldn't help but sing songs like Majesty, Worship His Majesty. And the other song, The Heaven Shall Declare, you know, they were songs that just touched my spirit and it was an amazing place. Now I have to apologise for this next picture. It was indeed a sacred place uh, that I feel I desecrated. Fistera. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, whichever route you walk to Santiago, uh, it seems that afterwards there are really two options for uh, an epilogue, for something just a little bit more, Fistera and Muthia. Uh, and um, I have to uh, disagree with our distinguished guests uh, that um, the Camino, we agree on the end point of the Camino, because I think there's this convergence at Santiago. But I would like to suggest that in some ways, whether we walk on to Fistera or Mutia, or don't walk on, we just return home. The real Camino begins at Santiago. That the journey home is as important as the journey to. And so uh, we do assert, I suppose, a start and a finish, but we say that the finished pilgrim uh, is the one who arrives back into their own doorstep. And, uh, and so it is with Fistera, that here you cannot walk any further in any direction except back. I like that. We come to the end of the world and 
If our journey has been a successful one, I would propose we come to the end of ourselves. There's nowhere else to go except perhaps into the water, as many pilgrims to Fistera do, and then come back to a new world and a new self, uh, echoing the spirituality of Christian baptism. The sacred places, I think, are the places that take us to the end of ourselves and return us home differently, transformed. And so we can talk about what that transformation might look like. Um, and we could talk all day about that, or we could talk in the next 10 minutes so I don't get in trouble. Uh, and I would say that this last part is perhaps the most controversial part of a pilgrim spirituality. Ede and Selno talk about sacred texts, and I would say perhaps sacred scripts, because texts are not just the things that are written down like this, but scripts, of course, are things that are performed. They're not texts to be read, they're texts to be lived. Uh, sacred texts are meant to be lived, and I would actually say, though, that we all live according to scripts of some kind or another. We all perform our lives we will perform places and roles, meaning, purpose and identity, according to some script or another, even if that's only an implicit script. And I think that the biggest gift of the Camino is the chance to recognise the script we have been living and to perhaps live according to a different script. The chance to flip the script and to question the defaults that other people have set for us. So what are some of those scripts? I think there's a script when it comes to time or pace. And we can recognise that the busiest person isn't necessarily the most important person. We don't have to be busier in our lives to have more meaning or value to others. And we can move from a hectic pace to an intentional pace. A rhythm uh, like... Um, the, the song you might have heard, or perhaps not, uh, Eat, Sleep, Rave, Repeat. Uh, we can have Eat, Sleep, Walk, Repeat. Uh, the script when it comes to, uh, not just to time, but to material possessions, from accumulating more stuff. Isn't our script, our dominant cultural script, acquisitiveness? Isn't that what our economy runs on? we can flip that to knowing that we need to walk lightly, not just for our own good, but for the good of the earth on which we tread. And we can flip the script when it comes to agency, uh, our, our socialisation, our sociality and uh, the, the interaction we have with others, from anxiety to vulnerability to being the stranger on the road who might recognise the neighbourliness of another. And we can have an openness to others and their stories and their journeys when we're not anxious about our own. In the text, um, often that we live uh, in our world, we live it, uh, by grace. I live by grace, it's been offered to me freely. And on the Camino, I believe it's a place where we can show grace and offer grace to others. 
there are so often that we go to the Camino with these scripts in our life and we've all been judgmental. Cam has, I have. Oh, they're not a real Camino. Uh, Pilgrim, they're not carrying their pack. Oh, they haven't walked from St. John. They haven't, they took a bus because of something. You know, we've all had those judgmental places and I know for me was letting go of that script of saying, I don't want to be judgmental. We don't know their story and so I offer grace. And the other script was a, a, a story in the Bible called The Road to Emmaus. It was a, a story that happened just after Jesus died where two of his disciples were walking away from Jerusalem, dejected, feeling sad, and somebody joined them. A person joined them and walked with them. They didn't know who it was. When they got to their destination, they found out it realised it was Jesus. And they said to themselves, were not our hearts stirred when he walked with us? Were their hearts not warmed? And for me, that was part of the Camino. And uh, I found this over and over again. And, and this lady, um, Isabel from South Africa, I'd had a really rough morning. I had left um, where I was staying. I had gone to the toilet and come back because someone was in there. Thankfully came back to somebody going through my backpack. and. I was just grateful he didn't steal my iPad or something. That might have ruined my Camino because that was my only contact home. But I just had to get to that point of letting it go so I could continue my journey. And this day I met Isabel. She was sitting, soaking her feet in water. She was struggling. Her family were walking with her, but they'd gone on because she was so slow. And we walked together and we shared our life stories and the pain went and our hearts were stirred and we got to our destination that day feeling great because we had shared the journey and that, that song that became a bit of my anthem, we are pilgrims on the journey, we are people on the road, we are here to help each other walk the mile and share the load and that's what happens on the Camino. We get to sing that song at our chapel service tomorrow, uh, which I hope I look forward to sharing with you. And so the Camino is indeed the great gift of Christianity to humanity, and it can be more than just an exercise in Christian spirituality, but I, I would suggest that in some ways it shouldn't be less than. Um, I struggle to find the right words here, but I, I would say the Camino can and should go beyond its origins, but not be cut off from them. So then, we find ourselves experiencing grace on the way. The grace to live free from judgment, the grace to live free from being judgmental, in my case. Looking down on others as not real pilgrims, if they hadn't walked the whole way. Uh, so I set myself free from that was able to experience grace in the places that I went, the people that I met, and the scripts that were available to me. I hope that this was something of your experience on the Camino and since, and I look forward to talking more with you about uh, spirituality of the Camino, on the Camino, for the Camino. Benedictionis. One more thing, if you want to respond, you, you might uh, share in this prayer with us. Uh, before I just wanted to share, for me, the spirituality of Keith, the Camino was life-changing. It is now part of who I am. The lessons I learned on the Camino that I've tried to integrate into my um, daily life, 
it deepened my sense of spirituality, my sense of people, of, of um, meaning, purpose and belonging, and it's who I am. And this prayer, Camino Prayer, was written by uh, a priest from Melbourne, Joe Dirks, and so um, if you'd like to join us, um, I will read this out for us. Lord Jesus, that each day on this Emmaus road, my heart may be stirred by you to discern, discover and recognise you. Then in knowing, listening to and abiding with you, may I enter more deeply into your gift, the grace and mystery of your Passover, and with my pilgrim companions, Break the bread and drink the cup of your Eucharist. Amen. 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 Salvation Army Officer Isabel Darling Thomas and the Anglican priest Cameron West, who called himself a pilgrim, a priest, a padre. Signor Azayas Calvo de la Uz is Administration Director for the Plan Jacobeo in the Ministry of Culture and Tourism in Galicia. He talked about the Camino's future, its impact on the world, the pilgrim's place on the Camino, where to from here. And he started with a little history. You know the story of the corpse. It was hidden in the 17th century. Basically, uh, well, this is not for sure that those are theories. In the 17th century, in the 16th century, the corpse of St. James was hidden. The bishop said that it was hidden because Sir Francis Drake, the English... Pirate. Call it whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, was near to Santiago and he said that he wanted to get rid of this uh, corpse. So that's what they that the bishop said publicly to get um, to hit hide the, the corpse. Reality says that Philip II, Philip II, King of Spain, you know, you know about him, you know, um, was trying to get all the relics he could gather for his new building in Madrid, the Escorial. Right. So the bishop was clever enough to say, okay. Look, Sir Francis Lake is there. We should do something about the corpse. Yeah? So, from the six, 16th century, the corpse was nowhere to be found. Right? And finally, in the 19th century, on the end of the 19th century, during excavations in the cathedral, that corpse came up again. And it was rediscovered, and here we are. Those are pictures of, of, of that, all right? So, there have been, after, well, during the 20th century, the 20th century, pilgrimage was not that important to Santiago. There were pilgrims, but not so many. It is thanks to associations like yours, like yours, which uh, a renaissance of the Camino has taken place at the end of the 20th century, all right? Uh, we should, uh, we will talk about it later on, yeah. Um, let me tell you as well that this rebirth uh, has such a strength that today it is possible to state without hesitation that the map of the roads, roads of Santiago is the map of Europe, here you are. The map of Europe. 
those are roads going to Santiago, right? We have more than 80,000 80, kilometers active of Camino de Santiago in Europe, thanks to associations. We are a very small region in there, Galicia, you know, Spain, right? Then uh, we are looking after the Camino as much as we can, we, but we couldn't be able to do that, right? <laughs> right. That long, yeah. So 80,000 kilometers, yeah. The Caminos were in the past and are now a place where we build Europe, its identity and values, universal Europe, right? This idea is to be spread all over, I and mean, it must be said time and time again. But especially in times of growing political and religious extremism, ideological intolerance, rejections of the difference, exacerbated nationalism, and exclusion of the spiritual dimension of man. We are here to dilute, to get rid of cultural boundaries, to erase all those border, borders that make us smaller, that deprive us of our great horizons to live together. There will be obstacles, hurdles, there will be difficulties, yes, but in the Caminos there should be no borders. This is a core of work. It doesn't matter when you arrive or where you come from. You are all invited and you are all needed to build up the Camino. Every one of us is needed there. More so than ever, we keep in mind that the special, special dimensions of the Camino goes beyond Spain or Europe. In 2018, more than half a million pilgrims from 180 countries around the world, we're talking about five continents in here, arrived in Santiago de Compostela. On the Caminos we find all nationalities and there are associations working in favor of the Caminos on the five continents as well. We all try to open the Caminos because they belong to everyone to the humble, to the desperate, to the wise, to the rich, to the poor, to everybody. The same goes for its religious dimension. The Camino was born as a religious pilgrimage and the religious dimension from which it originates is valid for many walkers. But the Camino already goes beyond the creed that was in its origin and it is in its final goal. It is a great gift of the Christian religion to humanity. Not all those who travel the pilgrimage roads do so move by religious motivations. Of course, but in the Caminos everyone meets and the Camino and the Caminos are placed to peek into our own complexity and a place for dialogue an intercultural, interreligious, and intergenerational meeting. A great movement in progress, a city movement, it was said yesterday, wasn't it? A unique space in the world. There are not so many like that in the world. It's a much needed place. The mission of the Camino in the 21st century is then planetary, it's global. We have to reach for the world. It is a, 
an attractive, very attractive venture in which young people are eager to be deeply involved because they see values that they can commit to and, and that invite them to grow inwardly as, person, as, as a person, solidarity, the search for otherness, tolerance, intercultural, intercultural dialogue, universal horizons, in the Camino de Santiago, those values are reaffirmed every day, step by step. Let me tell you about, the, about you, <laughs> about pilgrims to Santiago de Compostela. What, who will you meet on these Caminos? Who will you walk with? Who are you going to talk to? Um, well, expect a multicultural environment and expect people from the five continents because approximately 60% of the pilgrims on our Caminos are not Spanish. And in 2018, there were people coming from 180 uh, countries, as I told you. 25% of our pilgrims are under 30. And over 50% are under 50. Just 20% of our pilgrims are over 60. That's something you should know. And a fact that I consider very important and I'm very proud of, even I have nothing to do with that, but for the first time in 2018, there were more female pilgrims than male pilgrims. Yeah, okay. Let me tell you, just because time is there, um, let me talk about associations. You're not alone, right? That's very important, you, sh you should know that. You are important to us and to thousands of pilgrims who arrive in Santiago every year. You are very important. At this time, while we are meeting here, thousands, thousands of people are giving their free time, their spare time to the people. They're free and they're not free time to the people who walk the Caminos to Santiago. You know well, many of you give your time up too. We will never know how to tell you how grateful we are and how we feel the closeness and importance of your work, despite the great physical distance that separates us. Right. Values. Last part of my presentation, values. The Camino is an unfinished piece of work, always alive, permanently under construction and evolution. It is very much the product of economic, social and cultural impacts coming from the societies from which our pilgrims come. So we are all building the way, right? Second, I want to say there is this temptation to make the Camino smaller, to diminish it somehow. How? How do they do that? Or why is we we could have we can we have to talk about this problem because uh, the pilgrimage is not a tourist product, and we cannot allow it to lose its meaning. It's a spiritual dimension. Uh, this call to our inwardness, because otherwise it will become useless. Just another route. Just another one. It wouldn't be different, eh? meaningless. Uh, 
the Camino is a unique place, a much needed place these days. Uh, and it is our five minutes, regeneration uh, program. It's a global reality, let me tell you about this. And of course, it's more than what we see. It's important. It's precisely what we cannot see which makes it big and important. And it tells, we can, these things we don't see, these values we cannot touch, but which are real. We cannot touch them, but they are real. As real as stones we, we can touch, as real as this. Right? This is a space for values, for culture and spirituality, as I said. Um, the Camino is much more than what we see, more than what we can touch. Uh, uh, we, uh, the Caminos are enjoy, uh, enjoying a great moment, uh, uh, a success moment. With, you, you see the figures, plenty of people coming, you know, all this uh, cultural heritage getting better and better, plenty of associations. This is very good, but look, we should look farther away from figures. We have to look into the values. Are we standing by our values? Values need protection as much as stones, right? That's important. Nature and everything. Values are to be protected, and we have to keep the essence, uh, strengthen the identity, and ensure the sustainability of the Camino. That's very important. Let me finish by talking about the 2021 holy year. That's very important. You know what a holy year is in, in Santiago. I won't tell you that again, but the government, the Galician government is working hard on that. This is a, this is a historic milestone and we want to organize an exceptional commemoration for the holy year 2020. We can organize in Galicia this is our territorial uh, scope, you know, place where we can organize them. We hope we can organize something big in Spain with the rest of the regions and with the, with the government and with the participation of everybody. Because as I said before, everybody's invited. Everybody's invited. We need you there. Yeah. We need you there for 2021. Um, the next uh, holy year will be a memorable event that highlights the Camino and the Jacobian culture. Um, it's trying to consolidate the importance of the Camino in European construction and in the world construction and its future. We are planning for the holy year, right? So by the end of the year, we hope to, we hope we will be able to come out with a complete program of activities, um, plans for publication, exhibitions, uh, concerts, music, literature, science, everything to be developed around 2021. What we have now is a strategic plan, right? Yeah, we talk about values. We have 10 strategic values I'm going to just mention to you. And then we have uh, action plans where all the activities will fit. Ten strategic values. This is how we are going to implement and create the program and all the activities. Hospitality. That's the first thing. This sense of the Camino experience. The Camino is a host land. Think about what is going on in Europe and 
all around the world with migration, with everything. Host land. Has to be a cohesive Shakobeo uh, celebration, integration of people, local communities, pilgrims mingling together, companies, associations. We want you not to be spectators, but to be actively involved in the creation this whole year. It should be sustainable. By, if by the end of 2021, the Camino was less sustainable economically, environmentally, uh, socially, than it was before then, I will be talking about failure myself. It's celebration time, but we gotta be clever, we gotta be smart, we gotta take advantages of celebration time. We gotta leave a better Camino. It's got to be a celebration based in creation, innovation, and but with respect for tradition, something you manage so well in this country, England, and Europe. Your philosophy is so good, I, I'm admirer. Has to be enduring, should be there for as long time as we can. It cannot be like fireworks. Fireworks are really beautiful, but it goes very quickly. No, we want something that remains. Has to be unique, because the Camino is a unique route in the world, and this whole year is a unique event in the world as well. It's universal, it's important to know. That's the reason why you're part of it. It's not just Spain or Europe. That's, that's why you're here. It should be experience, experience. I don't know if you have this word in, in experience, exp, exp, based on experience. Experiential, that's it. Yeah? Because the Camino is a call to transform our lives. In the videos, all these guys saying the same thing basically, <laughs> different languages in different ways, but saying the same thing. It should be spiritual and religious, very important indeed. Uh, we are talking about Holy Year here. We come, we come across many people trying to deny the basis of this, but history is there and what happened, happened, <laughs> and it's there. And yeah, this religious approach is basic for many pilgrims and it should be respected and enhanced and strengthened. Has, has to be multicultural. Yeah. Yeah, we have Australian, Australian people and, and a Spanish guy <laughs> trying to explain what feels in here and talking about St. James' celebration is going to be made by all of us. It's not a Spanish thing. It's not a European thing. It should be made by all of us. And it has to be integrating, understanding, plurality and accessibility. It should be a celebration for, for everyone. The problem is coming by the end of the year. Huh? The Camino is, is waiting for us um, we are waiting for you in Galicia as much. Uh, you cannot imagine how much. Thank you very much indeed.
Monsignor Azayas Calvo de la Uz, Administration Director for the Plan Jacobayo in the Ministry of Culture and Tourism in Galicia. And before Azayas, Isabel Darling Thomas, a member of the Salvation Army, and the Australian Anglican pilgrim priest and padre Cameron West. It was just a magic weekend. Wonderful people sharing and caring. I loved it. I love being around pilgrims. I love hearing them laugh. I'm hearing them making one another laugh. It's one of my favourite things. Oh, a special thank you to Janet Leach and the team at the Australian Friends on the Camino for inviting me. I sang some songs on Saturday night and it was absolutely fantastic. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I was really lucky as well to sing with Jesse Ventila on the Friday night. Jesse is from Sing the Camino and she sang and took us through some Galician folk songs. It was just absolutely mind-blowingly good. So I'm going to try and find Jessie, if I can, to interview her for one of my podcasts. The creator of The Muppet Show, Jim Henson, said once, there's not a word yet for old friends who've just met. So true. Thank you for your company this week and every week. Until next Tuesday and another journey together, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino.